previously uh, a remote consultation was a stopgap between a, a real consultation and another real consultation and the telephone was was just a, a way of tidying you by until the, the the actual consultation but now the remote consultation is the real consultation hmm. so there's a change in mindset that's required from both the clinician and the and the patient and the consultation needs to be slowed down and it's no longer just a transactional consultation this is a uh, it's all, all the things that you've been taught in your undergraduate curriculum uh, and postgraduate curriculum related to how to undertake a consultation applies online as well and applies on video or telephone as well hi there dane here from arc health welcome to remote consultation masterclass this is a podcast where we catch up with leading healthcare professionals to discuss tips and tricks for carrying out remote consultations as well as bringing you key nuggets of information for your CPD. Now you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. So I hope you enjoy the episode. In this episode, we're going to base our podcast around a poll that was run by doctors.net.uk, asking doctors what their main challenges were around remote consultation. So to do this, I'm joined by Dr. Adam Abs, a GP, and the author of the RCGP accredited The Remote Consultation Handbook. Hi, Adam, you are right? Hi there, hi. Thanks for having me today. Cool. So um, as we talked about before, obviously we're going to discuss some of the themes and topics that were picked out from this poll uh, and kind of look at them in a bit more detail. Um, but just before we jump in, I guess, it'll be really useful to know, Adam, a little bit more about you and kind of also how you ended up authoring this guide. Well, I've been doing remote consultations for over two years now, um, I, and I was involved with, in remote consultation education. And when COVID hit us, I was asked by some colleagues in Italy to do a, a presentation to them on how to undertake a remote consultation because they had no experience of it. And suddenly they had to, had to do this with no, with no education whatsoever. So I did this. And in order to communicate with them, because I, sadly I don't speak Italian, I um, wrote everything down and a friend translated it into Italian for me. And it was the worst ever presentation because it was all written down in English and written down in Italian. And then I uh, spoke over it for, for the audience. But the result was a, a lot, of, lot of text about how to undertake a remote consultation. Cut a long story short, from that, I then produced a handbook uh, which was the edition one of the remote consultation handbook. Then following feedback and following some um, really positive um, feedback from people actually, um, and it, it was very well taken up by um, the, in, in Italy and also in, in the UK, um, I decided to do remote consultation handbook ed edition two, um, with a lot more information in, with expanded chapters, with some new chapters, and also with a lot of referencing to make it a little bit more um, uh, respectable, if you will, a little bit more evidence-based. Mm -hmm. This was then accredited by the RCGP. Um, and since then, things have continued to expand and the Arc Health Education Hub has expanded. And I've been doing a lot of remote consultation education over the last year including for GP VTSs and, um, and also foundation year doctors. Perfect. No, sounds good. And uh, for the guys who haven't seen the Arc Health Education Hub, there's lots of good resources on there, um, which includes a handbook. So do check it out and we'll make sure we put the links again at the bottom of the podcast. So again, do have a look. Um, 
Oh, perfect. So obviously you're the right man to, to be here to do this. And the questions that have come up are really relevant. So um, using that, I guess we'll, we'll kind of move on. Um, so actually one of the first things picked up by this poll then was that 56% of the doctors had concerns about their, and the quote was inability to perform a face-to-face examination if needed. So clearly for a lot of us pre-COVID, if we ever did anything remote, there was always this, well, it's okay because they're either going to come down if I need them to, and I can get them down face to face. And clearly, because of a range of reasons, that might not always be an option now or doesn't seem to be for a lot of people. Um, what do you make of that kind of statement? And, um, you know, what are your thoughts or tips around that? Well, I think it's an interesting statement to make because um, obviously I'm a huge fan of remote consultations and I think they're a really important mar- um, part of the mix of consultation modalities that we have, but they are part of a mix. So I have some hesitation in, in, in that question because there should always be the opportunity to convert a telephone or video consultation into a face-to-face consultation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I think what we need to do is be bold enough to do what we can on telephone and video, but also be safe enough to know what we can't do. Mm. Um, uh, and those, those guidelines, of the, those boundaries are different depending on your, um, your, not only your abilities, but also your confidence with remote consultations. Um, but the GMC guidelines are very strict uh, and very clear that uh, throughout any remote consultation, there needs to be a constant assessment as to the appropriateness of the consultation. So let, I think we should do as much as we can, but we have to, have to recognize the limits. Um, when we are doing any kind of consultation as well, we do need to consider what the next step is. So if we are having a telephone or a video consultation and we say, this isn't enough, doing nothing isn't an option, but also we need to consider if bringing them in the next day is an option because sometimes that's too late. Mm-hmm. Bringing them in to us later that day may also be too late. So trying to do as much as we can in remote consultations will also allow us to sometimes send a patient directly to urgent care, A&E or hospital specialty um, because a remote consultation is still a medical consultation between a GP and a patient. So we need to recognize the, 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 the validity of a remote consultation as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I guess it's even if clinicians aren't going to see that person themselves, it's kind of where is the most appropriate place next, depending on the differentials and, and the time um, in which this person needs to be seen as well. Exactly. If you've got a 20 year old with severe abdominal pain that started essentially is moved to the right and left crosser and they've got diarrhea and they have a fever, um, telling that patient to wait four hours and come back and see me in the afternoon is, is not appropriate. Yeah. Um, you know that that patient needs to, to go to hospital. Um uh, and that sometimes will cause a, an awkward con- a conversation with the specialty you're referring to, but um, you have to do, you're, you're the advocate of your patient and you have to do what's right for them. And um, having them wait for you is not always the right option. Yeah, perfect. So it is, is like you said already, really understanding the limitations of, of that consultation mode and knowing when to change. No, perfect. And, and the- because you, some, nobody can tell me on the telephone that that patient I've just described to you um, uh, mm. sh- shouldn't go to hospital. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a surgical abdomen. They need to be seen. I have done my medical consultation, even though I've not actually touched the patient. Yeah, no, that makes sense. 
Um, yeah, so and I think that kind of leads on really nicely to concerns a lot of people have, which and again in this poll it showed forty three percent of people were concerned about eliciting clinical signs in a remote consultation. Um, there were a couple of other things that were also picked up. So nearly half were also concerned about difficulty of picking up body language on a remote consultation. Uh, other things were around uh, medical legal concerns um, with remote consultation. And finally, one of the other big ones picked up was 27% uh, people were worried about kind of the patient's confidence of using appropriate devices as well. So if we kind of pick them in turn and start with a listing clinical signs, obviously this is a big concern to many clinicians is that what if I miss something and you know, how do I best do this? Uh, what's what's kind of been your advice and what do you teach around this kind of area? Um, the, the first thing is to, again, like I said before, do what you can. Um, do basic and general observations. So um, record how the patient looks, uh, the respiratory rate. Um, uh, are there any obvious signs that you can tell simply by looking or listening, looking at the patient or listening to them? Ask the patient if they have any equipment at home is also useful. Many patients these days have thermometers increasingly people are getting pulse oximeters at home um, and many also have uh, blood pressure machines as well and some patients with certain conditions will have things like blood glucose meters or peak flow meters at home if they have them then use them um, the more information you can gather about them, the better but also try to be structured with the patient with the assessment of them so there are certain tools you can use I don't know if you've seen the healthy together website the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health um, have uh, produced an amazing website with some clinical pathways for remote assessment for pediatrics from there. Um, and they're, they're really useful at uh, giving you a structured approach to um, do an assessment of a, of, a, of a child with different presentations. But also you can make sure that you examine the patient fully. So ask the patient to put the phone on the side and to step back or if it's um, with, with the laptop, simply step back from the laptop, move backwards, see them moving. Um, and you can ask the patient to examine themselves as well. Yeah. So a patient can um, put their hands forward. If they've got shoulder injury, they can ask them to put the hand forward, press down, turn the hand over, press down, and demonstrate to the patient what you'd like them to do. Um, um, or you can ask a family member to help as well. There's, there's a lot that you can do remotely if you have some imagination. Um, I think we're going to cover that in more detail at a, at a later date, but they're the general principles. Yeah, exactly. No, no, definitely. And I think, it, you know, we could almost spend quite a lot of time on just that and the kind of uh, the nuances of how you do that. And I think one of the points you really pick up on is that self-examination uh, and at the moment you kind of say imagination versus I guess if you think about how we traditionally practice medicine, a lot of these things aren't left down to imagination and we don't need to problem solve because we've just been taught how to do it and we do it face to face. Yeah. Whereas now we're trying to come up with ways to do something that actually there isn't a tutor above us that has taught us before. Um, but again, you've, you've picked up lots of this. It's in the handbook and we'll, um, we'll definitely talk about this in more detail. But um, for me, I think it was nearly a year ago now that um, I came and observed you doing some remote consultation as well at a time where I was trying to do a bit more. And um, yeah, that was definitely a, an area that opened my eyes to the ways you could coach those points. So uh, yeah, I think that'll be a really good podcast. I'm looking forward to doing that one with you. 
Um, so come back to that. So we talked about examining self. Um, the other thing you mentioned, which I think is really, really important, was that kind of wide view, seeing the whole patient and not being afraid to ask them to get the setup right so you can do your job. Um, yeah, absolutely. And to take the time to do that, be firm at the start. Look, this is a, a, a medical consultation with your GP um, and we need to do this properly. Please take a moment to, to do this for me. And then the paediatric assessments um, that you talked about, the tools will make sure that they're popped in at the bottom of the podcast. Um, so if you guys do want to have a look at uh, what Adam's been talking about in more detail, do check out the uh, links below. Okay, um, perfect. So if we move on kind of from clinical signs, but um, it's definitely a whole podcast in itself and we will come back to it. Um, the second kind of point really picked up was the difficulty in picking up on body language and missing those kind of cues that we might be better at doing automatically given the skills of doctors i guess over years of doing that um how do you kind of uh, pick up on that given it is a challenge i guess isn't it and it's it's a huge challenge um but just like we, we as, as gps especially we're used to overcoming all sorts of challenges that um in every single consultation that we have pretty much um we overcome them uh, remotely as well a few things that we need to do one one is slow down the consultation so previously, uh, a remote consultation was a stopgap between a, a real consultation and another real consultation. And the telephone was, was just a, a way of tidying you by until the, the, the actual consultation. But now the remote consultation is the real consultation. Hmm. So there's a change in mindset that's required from both the clinician and the, and the patient. And the consultation needs to be slowed down. And it's no longer just a transactional consultation. This is a, uh, it's all, all the things that you've been taught in your undergraduate curriculum uh, and postgraduate curriculum related to how to undertake a consultation applies online as well and applies on video or telephone as well. So we shouldn't just rush through to get to the end point uh, in, in a remote consultation. So slowing the patient down will allow you to assess their body language, whether that's through the speech on the telephone or whether that's through looking at them on the video. Mm. Second of all, show your body language. So as I'm talking with a patient, um, as I'm talking now, I'll try to, I'll show my upper arms so they can see my arms moving. They'll see something of my hands. When I can't see my hands, another tip whilst I remember is if you are typing when you're speaking to a patient, they might be able to hear that. So let them know that you're typing, um, but they can still see some movement and they, and they can see your face nice and clearly if you've got good lighting, which you should do. Um, uh, but also, and it's more so on the telephone, be explicit with your empathy so that the patient, maybe they can't, maybe they lose some uh, body language, but they hear in your tone of voice and in the words that you're using um, that you are empathizing with them and you are with them. Um, so just like we've been taught previously, say to the patients, this must be really difficult for you. Um, I can understand how that would be stressful and that must have been distressing. Um, saying these things might seem a little too much because normally our face will say it, but we need to be a bit more explicit when, when that's not so obvious. Yeah. Finally, ask the patient to move back so you can see more of them. Okay, so like we were saying before, ask them to put the phone down on, on one side or move the laptop back. On the phone, you can get an idea of body language still. 
Um, you can talk about, so in the notes, you talk about how the patient sounds well, they're calm, they're happy, they're chatting about their day. It's not body language as such, but you're getting a, a picture of the patient. They walked upstairs to get the thermometer. When they came back, they weren't out of breath. They didn't sound in pain when I asked them to put their hands over their head um, or when they were moving around the house because I asked them to. And the patient stated that and sounded like that they were happy with the plan at the end of the consultation. Again, that's uh, trying to get a, a full assessment of the patient when there is the, the sort of loss of body language, if you will. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, isn't it? Because you're talking about it's not just what they're saying to you, it's all the things they're not saying that you're picking up. And sometimes, um, particularly when we were doing remote consultation generally in GP training or other places, like you said, because they ended up being stop gaps, we maybe didn't colour or write down some of those observations because it was a right there now coming in or, or not. Um, but then when we look back at the notes, the information you're talking about is actually really critical to, to deciding well was this patient yes yes absolutely uh, and heaven forbid you're in court one day that mm. that would be what you'd uh, hope you'd you'd written that you'd done a full assessment yeah no that's and, that's really useful yeah. on that note of, of, of patient safety as well if, if you are worried from a point of view of a patient's social situation if you will or home situation one of the advantages of a telephone is you can ask them to say yes or no to to um, questions. So you, you can um, ask them if they're safe, ask them if, there's, uh, if they're in fear or something, if, ask them if they need extra help. Mm. So um, if you do pick up on something in the tone of voice when you're speaking to them, um, naturally you want to bring those patients in, but just a bit of a tip is to, to switch to yes, no questions where appropriate. Yeah. Okay. That's good. No, that's really useful. So I think they're, they're definitely things for us to take away. And I think many of us who are doing telephone or remote consultations, maybe not for as long as you I think it's always good to, you know, when we audit our own notes and look back and to maybe take, have a look at a couple and go, did we, now that we're looking back at this set of notes a week or two weeks later, does it color it? Can you visualize yourself being there? Does this patient, you know, is all the information there? Um, and I think there's some great tips there in terms of picking that up. That's a good phrase. Does it color it? I'll, I'll, I'll use that one. Um, I'll give you that one for free. Um, <laughs> so the so moving on from body language, really, um, the next one was really more about, and I think you've already touched upon this, is kind of medical legal concerns were another one that was brought up in that poll, um, which obviously I think for many people, some of it's also the unknown, the lack of experience in an area that they then perceive their risk to be higher as well. Um, what, what general advice have you been giving around the kind of alleviating kind of the medical legal concerns, I guess? Um, again, a, a huge subject, but uh, mm. some key points are, um, as I said before, about like you said, colouring in, colouring in what you can. Um, just because you can't get it 100% doesn't mean that 80% isn't useful. Um, but document, document, document document everything. Um, there'll be some things that you will um, not, that, that you will be assumed in a face-to-face in a -face consultation that you need to be a bit more explicit about when you're making the notes in a remote consultation. And also use scoring systems. So you, you are uh, to help check your own practice, but also defend your actions. Um, using scoring systems is useful. The Centaur criteria and the uh, Liverpool peritonsular abscess score is particularly useful. 
they've both been modified for remote consultations. Um, and using simple pain scores, uh, a, a patient who's reporting a pain of two out of 10 um, is very different to a patient reporting pain out of eight out of 10. Some of us, as time progresses, we forget to use these simple pain scores, um, but, but they are useful for, for trying to, as you say, color in the notes a little bit. I would also say uh, my experience of, of colleagues who've had problems with remote consultations is that the patients who've been seen on or spoken to on the telephone or seen on the video two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times, uh, and then something's come to light. And the doctor who helps that patient is a doctor who has finally brought them in. My, it's, it's an, everyone will have their own number. But my rule is three strikes and you're in. So if, if a patient is coming back with this problem that hasn't been improving or that we're still uncertain about, after three times, that third appointment needs to be a face-to-face -face appointment. It, there's something not quite right. There's something we're not understanding. Continuing to do it over the telephone or video is not always appropriate. Mm. Okay. Um, and also something else which is useful for, for, to, for both us and the patient is to safety net to the extreme with remote consultations. So be really explicit. What should prompt them to act? When should they act? Where should they go if something should happen? And how, should, how they should get there? And also check, just make sure you check understanding because on a remote consultation, as you, we've talked about, the body language and the feedback is a little bit less. Mm. So you need to just double check that what you said has been understood by the patient. And then one final thing on, on, on from a medical legal point of view is with most systems that we have, we have improved communication with the patient via text or via email. So send them patient advice leaflets. Yeah. Uh, patient.co.uk has some fantastic advice leaflets and uh, again the, the the healthy together website with the, the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health um, have got some fantastic patient information leaflets for parents so use those send them to the parents send them to the patient and the patient's in safe hands even after you've ended the consultation and I noticed that with you, the, the time that I came to observe you doing it, you were every consultation effectively got that patient leaflet and it was done electronically. And um, that was quite nice because it was kind of the uh, confirmation and kind of repeating what you've already said, but they got it in another resource. So um, and definitely probably sometimes we don't do that enough in practice because we assume we've got most information across. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and who knows how much the patient remembers tomorrow? Yeah. Or later on when they were well. Yeah, no, definitely. Perfect. So yeah, quite a few components there on the to medical legal, but you, you kind of talked about your three strikes out uh, policy, which I think is, I definitely want to keep an eye on because there is people that keep coming back, don't they, that we haven't seen um, that strong safety net. Uh, and then particularly, I think things like the documentation um, and, and that patient leaflet. So perfect. Um, so again, um, there is a good podcast we did uh, with Andrew Latham, um, who is a medical legal kind of solicitor. And that was a podcast four off the top of my head. Um, so it's definitely worth a, a look at that if you guys are interested. Um, and I know it's an area that I believe has come up time and time again from um, the listeners so far. 
Um, so we are hoping to do a little bit more around medical legal uh, elements, remote consultation. So uh, look out for that. And then the final point that was made in this poll was um, concerns that and um, in kind of was the patient confident with remote consultation themselves. Um, what were your kind of thoughts around that concern? Um, uh, again, a lot of what we're trying to do here is trying to change the mindset of both clinicians and patients to being more open to, to remote consultations. It, and, and as the as the, the GP, it's your responsibility to do that conversion um, and to face that skepticism um, and acknowledge it with the patient. So you could always say to the patient, look, I understand that you know, this isn't you, you, the type of consultation that you're used to, but please um, let's, let's try a, a, a telephone or try a video consultation. And if you're not happy by the end of it, I promise I will see you tomorrow, for example. It's one way of trying to um, recognize the patient's skepticism, but also recognizing the need to at least try this new modality of, of consultation. And then it's your job within that consultation to convert them, to do such a good job, to uh, pay so much attention to the patient-doctor relationship, to really let them know that they've been assessed thoroughly and that they've been listened to. So by the end of the consultation, they're perfectly happy and they don't need to see you face-to-face -face if naturally that's clinically appropriate. Yeah. And it is difficult because I, I find that the ones I do, there are some patients that will always just say, oh, I just want to see you face to face, even though, you know, you know that it doesn't sound like it needs to go there. Are there, yeah. are there any are there things that you say to reassure them kind of beyond what you've just said now to kind of get that across that it's OK? Um, all I can do is 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 offer them the consultation to show them that the consultation is is valuable yeah. and a lot of what what we were saying at the start about not being transactional in the consultation mm. is the patient sees the often will, will often see a remote consultation as that stopgap as the, the the cheaper version of uh, of a gp or gp light but what you need to do is engage with the patient listen to them use your body language express your empathy um and Actually, you'll find a lot of patients by the end of it will say, wow, I've actually had a doctor listen to me more than I have for the last 20 years. Um, and many patients will like it. Some won't. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's the nature of human beings. Yeah. Um, but the vast majority, if you work hard enough, just as you work hard in a real face, real face to face consultation, mm. um, you, you can you can convert them. Yeah. So for so I guess for a new patient who isn't up for it yet, it's kind of that there is a little bit of sales in in terms of getting them around and showing them that you can achieve what you're looking to achieve this way. Um, and like you said, emphasizing some of the points that maybe they might be less clear about. Yeah. So and by by not by telling them you have to do this, saying to them let's try it, and I'll yeah. show you. Yeah. Uh, and I expect most patients would be happy. Yeah, no, sounds good. Um, try before you buy. Um, so um, I guess, so I think that, you know, that was a quick roundup of some of the kind of key points that were brought up. So the key things were around concerns around kind of the ability to have a face-to-face -face examination if needed, which we talked about. We've talked about eliciting clinical signs and the challenges there, body language picking it up, and then kind of medical legal and patient confidence. Um, 
but to kind of put you on the spot a little bit, um, I was hoping you might give us a quick summary um, of what you think the kind of key take home points are from some of the things we've discussed. Um, we've discussed a lot, haven't we? Um, mainly just to do as much as you can, as thoroughly as you can, but know the limits. Um, and also don't forget you're still the patient's doctor. You're still their GP. You're still the clinician. You're still the person that they put faith in. So not only are you clinically responsible for them, but you're not a telephone operative. You are there to listen to them, to recognize their feelings, to, to appreciate their feelings, um, and to attend the patient-doctor relationship. It's, the, it's even more important remotely than it is uh, normally. So please, let's not forget everything we've learned in under and postgraduate med medical education when it comes to remote consultations. We need to do even more of it. And then we can have real fruitful, meaningful remote consultations. Perfect. Um, and I, I, so I, I have been typing away under the guise of the camera. Um, so I don't know how obvious it was. Um, but I wrote down a few bits just thinking about the key points you made. Um, so for you me, I think emails then. So no, I, was, I promise you I wasn't on my emails. No. Um, so for me, the main ones were kind of remembering that remote consultations are no longer just the stopgap and potentially could be the consultation. Um, I think you mentioned the ability to self-examine. So there's some things we could coach and tell the patient to do that will give us valuable information um, that may let us make a decision or decide what needs to happen next. Um, that view, so you get a good view of them and not being afraid to let them see that view. Um, you've mentioned quite a few tools, but I think the main was the pediatric ones. So that's the one we're going to talk about. Um, but obviously there's the handbook as well for um, for the guys to have a look at, but hopefully we'll start to pick apart some of the details from the handbook in more detail moving forwards. Um, I liked the street, three strikes and you're out, but obviously if you feel that there's two strikes and you're already worried, then obviously you can do that, but three strikes <laughs> is a nice way to look at it. Um, kind of colouring that kind of consultation notes with some of the information that isn't what they say, which you talked about, such as, you know, did they come downstairs? Were they out of breath? What had you made them do? I thought was good. Um, and then the, I think the final point, and it's a point you made very early on, which is knowing the limitations of your tools and knowing at what point this cannot be remote um, and not being afraid of that, I guess, as well. Um, so, no, I think that... The, sorry, there's a remote roundup as well is a, another resource that we, we do. Okay. There's, there's so much... Uh, there's new resources coming out uh, every day, it feels like, but probably every week. Um, and the Remote Roundup is is a newsletter that we're doing uh, that, that puts all that together. So we search the internet to, to find out the latest resources and guides, and we, we put that in there. So if you want to check that out on the Arc Health website, you'll be able to, to sign up and receive that. It's just, just once a month. And that's still in the Education Hub. Yes, exactly. Okay, perfect. Okay, so lots of things on the Education Hub to have a look at. So definitely have a delve around when you've got time. Um, so yeah, finally, a big, big thank you for joining us, Adam. Um, do appreciate it. Um, and I'm hoping you guys found that useful. Uh, what I'm hoping to do moving forwards is uh, based on kind of feedback and polls, there's lots of interesting bits about Adam said that we can expand on. So hopefully we'll come back and look at some of those points in more detail as well. Um, so anyway, I hope you found it useful.
Um, lots and lots of interesting topics to come up soon. Um, so um, hopefully we'll see you on the next podcast. Uh, and remember, you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify. Um, so see you on the next one. As always, do keep in touch with us for future episodes by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, YouTube or Spotify. See you on the next one.